Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Christ completed His work on the cross, that sacrificial work that is. We're going to talk about that this morning, but also we're going to see how that sacrificial work led to the continued ministry of prayer on our behalf. You know, um, when I met with the search committee some years ago, I can say that now, it has been some years ago, three and a half or so years ago that I met with them, and uh, I believe they asked me the question of what is your favorite scripture, what is your favorite passage from the Bible? And um, I told the committee then, I think back to those days, those have been a while now, Dwight was the chair of that committee, and by the way, I'm proud I came here. You know how, do you know how diff, oh, no, 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 no. That was spontaneous gathering. I didn't prompt that, by the way. No, I'm just saying, if you appoint Dwight as a chair of a search committee, you better be thankful to get anybody in this church. That's what I want to say. It was tough, but God leads, you know. But they asked me this question of what is your favorite passage, what is your favorite scripture. And they may remember, I I said to them, it's whatever scripture I'm in that week, whatever passage that I'm reading. and, And I literally mean that. Like when I begin to study, especially for Sunday morning or maybe Sunday night or Wednesday night and and, and I get to deal with the scripture. I get to look at it. I mean, God just begins to alive in my heart. And I'll tell you, it's been one of those moments even this week as I look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 through 28. How exciting, how energizing to hear what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, his complete sacrifice for us, the ability that he has to save us, And then his continuing ministry of prayer on our behalf. It excites us as believers to know that Jesus worked on our behalf and completed what he needed to complete. But also that Jesus continues to care for us and love us in such a way that he makes petition to the Father on our behalf. I want you to see this today as you hear the writer of Hebrews speak to these great truths, these marvelous truths of Jesus and his work. It begins again in chapter 7, verse 25. He says, therefore, now remember, when you look at the scripture and you see specifically that word, therefore, you ask yourself the question, what? What is it there for, right? And the writer of Hebrews is talking about the high priestly work of Jesus. He's talking about how Jesus has fulfilled this role as our high priest. Now, the writer of Hebrews obviously addressing individuals that have come from a Jewish background. And in the Old Testament, according to Jewish thought, there were three offices. Three offices that you would find. A prophet, a priest, and a king. And in many ways, theologians today will take those offices of the Old Testament... And they will speak about how Jesus fulfilled each office, how he functions in that office, how he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. The writer of Hebrews specifically, here in this passage, is speaking about Jesus' priesthood, okay? And how it is so superior to any other priesthood that the Jews had ever experienced. How the priesthood 
is, of Jesus is much more superior than any other idea of sacrifice that you could find. That's what he's speaking about. That is the reason this is, this therefore is there. So get this context. Understand what he's saying. And look in verse 25 again. He says, therefore, since we have this priest, right? Since he is part of this unchangeable priesthood, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. So basically, as we look at this passage and we hear what this writer says, we recognize that as our high priest, Jesus made the sacrifice for us. I want you to see this, because before we get into the prayer ministry of Jesus, as it continues today, we must recognize that Jesus has the authority to pray for us because he made the sacrifice for us. He made the sacrifice. Well, again, the writer of Hebrews addressing basically individuals that come from this Jewish background, those individuals that were very familiar with the sacrificial system. He is writing to speak about how Jesus himself fulfilled the sacrifice that was so desperately needed by all men. Now, those who were reading it, they could again think about the sacrificial system. And they remembered how the high priest, or they could even envision, they could even see it to their day, how the high priest would somehow go before God on behalf of the people. So somehow this high priest had this mediating role. He would go before God in order to represent the people of God. And certainly there were daily sacrifices that were made, but the high priest in particular would go one time a year on the Day of Atonement to bring a sacrifice that would somehow cover the sins of the people of Israel. Think about that for a moment. Each year, a high priest entering into this Holy of Holies, after he cleansed himself, just as it speaks about here, after he had received this moral purification, he, he walks in to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. Here, the writer of Hebrews said Jesus did that. He went, just like any high priest would, to offer a sacrifice. But this is what is unique and different about Jesus. Instead of bringing a bull or a goat or a sheep or anything other, any other offering, Jesus brings himself. I want you to see that Jesus is a high priest unlike any other. Jesus fulfills this role unlike any other individual. Yes, they understand the sacrificial system. They understand that you bring forth these offerings and their blood is shed so that forgiveness can come. But Jesus didn't bring anything with him. He didn't bring 
the blood of bulls or goats or sheep or doves or anything else. Jesus just came himself. And he gave himself up. Jesus did that intentionally and voluntarily. I always like to remind people of that. The Romans did not take Jesus' life. The Jews did not capture Jesus' life or take it from him. Jesus willingly, voluntarily submitted himself to the Father's will and to this purpose of dying for us. How incredible is that? Because at any moment, Jesus could have stopped this process. At any moment, Jesus could have said, you know what, I've had enough of this. At any moment, Jesus could have said, I'm not going through. I'm not going to... Jesus had every right. But Jesus fulfilled the Father's will and died on the cross for us to do something that we could not do for ourselves. He was the high priest who offered himself unlike any other high priest before. Now, understand that Jesus' unique function as high priest, even of the sacrifice itself, is because Jesus himself was unique. There was no other high priest like him in character or person. I remember when I was sitting back in Saltillo High School and I had Mr. Davidson. We called him Mr. D., for my English teacher back then. And this guy, I mean, I know it was a junior year uh, of high school, and I know we were supposed to be doing American Lit and all of that stuff, but he looked at us and he said, listen, you are going to make sure before you get out of here that you know some grammar. And, and we're going to make sure that you're able to relate. Now, I understand some of you like, because it is Mississippi grammar, and that is different from others, but <laughs> he said, you're going to learn. And one of the things, Mr. D, I mean, he taught all kinds of things, and I loved him. He was one of my favorite teachers ever. But he told us one day, he said, now when you're talking about uniqueness, understand that you can't use that in a comparative type of fashion. He said, you can't say something is more unique than something else, or most, it's the most unique thing you've ever seen. He said, you can't do that. He said, you can try to slide by some of these contemporaries now can say it's more nearly unique or most nearly unique or something like that. But you cannot say that something is more unique than something else. He said, it's kind of like saying something's dead. You can't say something is more dead than something else. Or it's the most dead thing you've ever seen in your life. I probably used that word a time or two or those phrases, but he said, that's not proper. He said, when you mention that something is unique, it means that it is one of a kind. And you can't be more one of a kind than something else or the most one of a kind. You're either one of a kind or you're not. You're unique. So I always think about this, especially when I look at this passage, is that Jesus was the unique high priest. And here the writer of Hebrews says he is totally different. He, he's not like any other high priest that's come before. He is the one of a kind. And this is the way he fleshes it out for us. Notice verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, totally separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. In all of the history of Israel, they had never seen a high priest like this. Never. 
Jesus was unique. He was holy. That is, he is set apart. He is harmless. He is blameless, you might say. He is undefiled. He's pure. That means that the Jesus that I serve and the Jesus that you serve lived a life of perfection here on this earth. There had never been another high priest like that. That is the reason the high priest, while they could find cleansing for their own sins, they could not offer themselves because they were not candidates of purity and perfection like Jesus was. Jesus was unique. That is the reason he could offer himself. He was separate from sinners. In some way, he was totally different. Isn't it amazing that this Jesus, who was fully God, became fully man, and yet, in his humanity, he was able to demonstrate moral purity. And he was totally different from any other individual. The scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means all of humanity. So every priest up until this point had fallen short of the, of the glory of God. Every individual since Jesus fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is that right candidate to offer himself, but Jesus was. He offered himself. Notice verse 28. Actually, verse 27, that is. It said that usually the priest would come to offer sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. But Jesus didn't have to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Jesus was coming to offer sacrifice for ours. Intentionally, voluntarily, he came. As our high priest, Jesus made the sacrifice for us. And listen to this. That sacrifice was complete Sufficient and perfect. The sacrifice of Jesus was totally complete. Again, it says in verse 27, For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. In chapter 10, and really you can find this across the book of Hebrews, but in chapter 10, verse 12, he said, But this man, that is Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of of God. So this sacrifice that was made was totally complete. It was totally sufficient. It never has to be repeated again. Jesus made the sacrifice. When I was trying to choose my verbiage through this message, I felt like that I needed to make sure that I placed that in the past tense. That he made the sacrifice. That it was accomplished on the cross. That sacrifice there. Just as Passover lambs were being slaughtered that day. In, in an effort to somehow cover the sins of the nation. Jesus, the true Passover lamb, gave his life once and for all. And that makes... A total difference. Just as our choir sang in, here in our sanctuary a moment ago about it being finished. There's nothing that we have to add to it. I, I don't have to try to earn my way. I don't have to try to gain my way. He has already taken the true sacrifice upon himself. He has paid completely. Even in the way we approach 
different things in the church. For example, I mentioned this last Sunday night uh, when we were worshiping together in the community. But we don't have Jesus on the cross. When you look at our crosses or so in our church, you will not find Jesus on the cross. Because he is not being crucified again. He's alive and well. That was once and for all he died on the cross. When we come in a few moments to take the Lord's Supper, we do not share the views of others who would say that through the Lord's Supper or through this ordinance, somehow that Jesus is re-crucified and that it becomes the blood and the body that is just a continued crucifying of Jesus. That is not the case. Jesus paid the price once and for all. It was complete. It was sufficient. He doesn't have any more work as it relates to the sacrifice to accomplish. He completed it all. He paid our debt as our high priest. And how liberating that is. How blessed we are to know that the work of the cross and the work of sacrifice the sacrifice was finished in Jesus. That his blood, just as the writer of Hebrews says, his blood was far superior than the blood of the goats or the bulls or any other offering that could be brought. Jesus' blood was far superior. And that is the reason he is able to save. I love this. Verse 25, go back to it. Very beginning it says, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him. The high priest is able, that is Jesus, is able to save. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it speaks about the empathy of the high priest. In other words, that the high priest, Jesus speaking specifically about him, that he cares, that he empathizes with us. Hey, it's great to know that somebody can empathize with us. I mean, when we go through difficulty, it is tremendous to know that somebody can come, maybe somebody who's been through it, and they can empathize with you. And you can share in different things. Whether you're in the hospital, sick, or you're just struggling emotionally or spiritually with things, and somebody comes and say, says, hey, I'm there with you. I'm with you. It's a great comfort to know that. The writer of Hebrews says we have a high priest that can actually empathize with our weaknesses and with our needs. Tremendous truth. Tremendous truth. But that is only part of the picture. Because what the writer of Hebrews says is that this high priest not only can empathize with us but this high priest jesus can save us you see how exciting that is there are times that i enter into hospital rooms and i look at individuals who are facing such difficulty and how often i leave there wishing i could have done something Now, I pray, and I believe through prayer, prayer can accomplish things. I've been talking about that several, several weeks now. But oh, how I wished I could just speak a word, or I could just touch them in some way, or do something 
to bring salvation to their physical body. I recognize how limited and how weak I really am. I can empathize with them. I believe that I can share with them through this journey. But how desperate I feel sometimes not to be able to help more than I do. Listen to me. Jesus not only feels for you, he empathizes with you. Jesus has the power to do something. And praise be to God for that. That he not only looked at us and said, I empathize with their sin. I know that they are broken spiritually. Not only that he did that, but that he said, you know what? I'm going to save them. I'm going to work on their behalf. And notice what it says, that he is able to save to the uttermost. The older preachers that I grew up with, they used to say, he is able to save from the guttermost to the uttermost. And we never should forget it. (laughs) Whoever you are in whatever situation, he can save. This passage in particular, though, as it uses this language, I think it means that He is able to save us for all of eternity. He is able to save all of us. Just as the sacrifice is complete, He will complete the salvation in our hearts and lives. Herschel Hobbes used to say it this way. He said, It is appropriate for us to say that I am saved or I have been saved. I was saved in past tense. I was saved. And yes... I will tell you that as approximately a 12-year-old young boy, I was saved. I knew I was. Eternal life entered into my heart. God did a work. But Hobbes said it is also just as appropriate to say I am being saved in the present tense. What is that? It means that God continues to do the work in my life. Now, I don't have to come and get saved again. That's not what I'm saying. God has already intervened in my life in justification But what he's doing now is he is sanctifying me. He is working his salvation in me. And one of these days, it is appropriate for me to say, I will be saved because my glorification. One day he's coming back again. Oh, yes, he is. He's coming back again. And he is going to glorify my body itself. And that will be the ultimate work of the salvation because Jesus, the high priest, is able to save to the uttermost. For all of those who draw near. Don't miss that. He wants to save us. Wants to work in our lives. But just as he is lifted up and we see his greatness and his glory, somehow it should draw us to him. If you are living apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, let me say to you, He is the only way. He is the unique one that I mentioned a moment ago. He is the true high priest who's made the ultimate sacrifice. He wants to save you. He loves you. He died for you while you were still a sinner, just like He died for me while I was still a sinner. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Him. Come close to him. And he will demonstrate his salvation and his power in your life. Now let me move very quickly. 
as our high priest. Jesus not only made the sacrifice for us, but listen, as I understand this passage, in Jesus' role as our high priest, he still prays for us. Look in verse 25 again. It says, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for them. Now, there are some out there who say that this is just referring to the presence of Jesus before the Father and how that representation, how that presence reminds the Father of the sacrifice. So in other words, when God the Father looks at us and he sees us and we still messed up, because we do, he is able to see Jesus who is there before him. And that reminder of Jesus' presence reminds him that Jesus has already paid for this sin. Now, that, that is true. I want you to hear me say this. I believe that the presence of Christ before the Father reminds the Father, as though he needed a reminder, reminds him that we are forgiven through the complete sacrifice of Jesus. I agree with that. But I really believe that this word goes further. I, I've read and I've studied different ones, but Wayne Grudem, one of the most respected theologians, I think, of our day, has rightly captured the definition or the meaning of this word when he says that this Greek word should be translated this, it, it, or defined in such a way as it has the sense of making specific requests or petitions before someone. And he points out to two scriptures. In Acts 25, 24, Festus uses this word to say to King Agrippa, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me? Another passage, when Paul uses it to describe Elijah, that Elijah pled with God against Israel. Those words... Same word that's used here, this idea of pleading or petition. In other words, this word always seemed to speak of about, a, about a specific petition or request that was offered to someone else on behalf of another. So listen, if that is the way the word is used most of the time, it means that Jesus is making specific petitions and requests to the Father on behalf of us. Now this shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus, even during his earthly ministry, he prayed for his people. He prayed for his disciples. Did he not? One of the greatest examples, John 17. Man, it's good. Sometimes it is called the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes it's called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. John 17. You want God to light your fire, go home this afternoon and just read it again. Where Jesus prays for his disciples and he says, God, I know they're in this world, but I pray they're not of this world. I, don't, I pray they don't find their substance here. God, I pray that you would sanctify them by your truth, that you would grow them. I pray for them. I pray for their work. I pray that as you have sent me, that you will send them. I, I pray, Father. For you to work on their behalf. And then he comes down to it where he prays for you and he prays for me. Yeah, there's a future element of those who will believe. 
those who will trust. And he prays that the church will be unified. This was the night before he was to die, to make that sacrifice. And you and I were on his mind. Not only for the sacrificial work that was going to be accomplished, but he, was, he knew that we needed his prayer. We knew, he knew that we needed the Father's help in our service, in our work. So I'm convinced, based upon this passage, based upon what I've seen in Jesus' life, that he continues to pray for us. To intercede to the Father on our behalf. Over the last few weeks, I've talked a little bit about praying for other people. Just a little bit. We're going to, after Easter, come back to that idea of interceding, praying for someone else. So I don't want to go too far into it now. Also, time is limited. But let me just say this. How awesome is it to know that somebody prays for you? I've become more convicted of that through the years of either writing a note and reminding people that they're being prayed for or maybe now, this age, sending a text or something like that just because I've seen how it ministers to me personally when I know people are praying. I mean, that's incredible. But this should blow our minds. And really it should lead us to a place of adoration and exaltation of the Father and of Christ. Is that we have this unique person that I described earlier. This high priest who was separated from sinners, who was holy, who was blameless, he is praying for us still. I use the present tense because it is an ongoing ministry. Just as he lives. Notice what he says. Just as he always lives to make intercession. He is praying. Paul described this one man. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. This one mediator, this one man still praying, still interceding on our behalf. What great consolation. Burkhoff put it this way when he was writing. He said, it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our prayer life. That he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds. And which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we're not even conscious. And against the enemies which threaten us. Though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease. And that we may come out victoriously in the end. Those things we can't even comprehend. We don't even know we should be praying about. Jesus knows. You know when we're, we're struggling with, with the will of God for our lives. Jesus knows the will. So what he's doing. He's praying for that exact will to be accomplished. He knows what we're facing. Yes, our God knows the future. Jesus does. So he knows what's coming our way. So he's already praying, I believe, for what we're going to face tomorrow and next week and the month after. He's praying. He knows. He's going to the Father on our behalf. 
how that should encourage us, how that should move us in our faith, how that should move us in our service. Because this one Jesus, our high priest, made the sacrifice. He paid it once and for all. But this Jesus also continues to pray and intercede on our behalf. That is the Jesus I serve. And I pray to God, it is the Jesus you serve. I say again, if you do not know him, draw near to him today. Listen to his word and note his power to save. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for sending your one and only son for us. God, we celebrate it this day. We celebrate the sacrifice. We celebrate our forgiveness. And yes, Lord, even this day, even this day, we are incredibly encouraged to know that, our, that your son intercedes on our behalf. God, help us to live in that confidence. Help us, Lord, just to live for you daily. For those who are lost here today, and Lord, there are some, no doubt, in this place. Help them draw near to you and experience the salvation to the uttermost. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand this morning?